Welcome to episode 155 with my guest, Andrew Donnelly. This episode is sponsored by Daily Burn. Get the first 30 days free when you go to dailyburn.com slash happy hour. Daily Burn, the best fitness anywhere. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. An hour or two of honesty, well, closer to two hours. Now I'm judging myself for always saying that. Oh, spiral right out of the top. I'm not going to reset. I'm going to I'm going to plow ahead. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. 2 hours of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. This isn't a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. That's also the name you can follow me out on Twitter. Go check out the website. There's a forum. There's blogs you can read. You can take surveys. You can see how other people responded to surveys. Um, you can support the show financially there. Um, you can shop, buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, uh, coffee, and all help uh, support the running of this show. Let's get to it. Um, I wanted to read, and by the way, I've been feeling really good lately. I think neurofeedback is starting to uh, starting to kick in, and it's really, really nice to feel some of that uh, vigor uh, returning. I also started taking some more magnesium, and uh, that I'm told that helps with because my muscles were feeling super, super tight, like I constantly uh, was feeling like I needed to stretch, and it was really aggravating. I was having trouble sleeping at night, and. Um, so I t- started taking magnesium because that helps not only with um, neurofunction. Is that a word? Neurofunction? Um, it helps with your brain. Uh, it also helps um, with your muscles, helps your muscles to relax. So um, there you go. There you have it. I hope you wrote that down and flow charted it. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Elizabeth Oz about her anxiety. She writes, You are always selfish and missing something. About her anorexia, I'm curling up in the only safe place, but it's on a fault line and I could be killed at any moment. About her OCD, uh, I'm on a path that keeps feeding into the same maze, never leading to the exit. Thank you for that. Uh, Brittany writes about her depression, like being locked in a car trunk and screaming and pounding to get out. You know, when I read that one, I was like, I think I'm the opposite. When my depression is kicking my ass, the inside of a car trunk sounds really good. It just sounds womb-like. That's why I always I always want to just uh, womb out. That's right. That's a new verb. Uh, stuff's tough about her depression. Bipolar 2. I just stop caring about everything and then hate myself for that. At the same time, every little thing wounds. I really relate to that one. About her anxiety, when planes fly overhead, my heart pounds and I wait for the nuclear bomb to fall. Wow, that's got to be, uh, that has got to be intense. Um, Little writes uh, about her anxiety, like I'm constantly walking in two feet of water, pushing along and then the tide comes in, I'm in over my head and I can't breathe. About her love addiction, please tell me I'm beautiful. I try to tell myself that but I know what a liar I am. Wow, that one is... Whew, that is deep. That is profound. Um, about living with an abuser, a thousand paper cuts. Um, Little Red 
about her love addiction. I get very high off the endorphins created by love and sex and feel huge crashes of dis- disappointment or hangover the day after a very romantic evening or when I'm without a romantic partner. I also become less focused, more agitated, and frustrated. I bet a lot of people, a little light bulb went off in their head when they when they heard that. Um, L'esprit compulsif, I think I pronounced that right, um, about her OCD, like worshiping a god you know is fake, but going to church just in case. Wow, that is a good one. Uh, and then I want to read um, a an email I got from uh, Katie, listener Katie. And she writes, I looked up free counseling and group services through RAIN, that's the Rape and Incest National Network, R-A-I-N-N dot org. And I'm starting with my first counseling session next week, and it's in my neighborhood, exclamation point. I live in Chicago, so the fact that this service is available in my neighborhood is incredible. It's been a couple of years since I was able to get counseling because I lost my job, and after Cobra ran out, Cobra was her boyfriend, <laughs> couldn't resist. After Cobra ran out, I couldn't afford to pay for it out of pocket. So thanks for putting the word out there. I'm going to see if I can try group as well. Thank you so much. I uh, love the podcast. Thank you for that, Katie. Um, oh, and then she sent me a quote. Uh, she writes, uh, Apparently, in the in a book, The Good Life, the author McKay writes, the idea that everything we do is part of the pursuit of happiness seems to me a really dangerous idea and has led to a contemporary disease in Western society, which is a fear of sadness. Wholeness is what we ought to be striving for, and part of that is sadness, disappointment, frustration, failure, all of those things which make us who we are. Happiness and victory and fulfillment are nice things that also happen to us, but they don't teach us much. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. I cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Andrew Donnelly, who is a... Uh, Fellow comedian, we worked together at Bumbershoot, the uh, Bumbershoot, arts, sure. arts festival in Seattle yep. in the summer of 2005, which was uh, an interesting time for you because your wife is from New Orleans, and that's right literally when Katrina hit. That is the weekend, I think. Yeah, the weekend it hit. Uh, I guess like Labor Day weekend. Uh, yeah, we were all happy at Bumbershoot. Uh, partying and doing comedy shows and occasionally turning on CNN like, oh... Oh, that's neat. Oh, the hometown is just, oh, it's water now. That's fantastic. We should, 
let's go to another party. Let's go to the after party <laughs> of the Death Cab for Cutie party. And then we'll go see. And like, oh, come on. Why? It's glass. Have some fun. Like, no, no, no. My parents' house is filled with 12 feet of water. Maybe we Oh, should. I didn't know that your folks are from there also. Oh, I'm sorry. Thought... Her, her folks. Was she oh, was okay. That was, I'm sorry. Oh, because she was That was you. me doing my wife. I got you. Uh, an impression of my wife. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, was she with you at Bumbershoot? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was. That's why it was like kind of a. Hard to be. Yeah, she's on the phone and like, you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to go have a blast. And, uh, but we did, we had no idea there was that much, you know, obviously. Then, did you refer to her as the hurricane buzzkill? Yeah, there was a bit of that. Like, people like, hey, how are you doing? She's like, "Uh, I'm okay. I'm like, let's not get into it. Let's not get into it. (laughs) Wah, wah, wah. My hometown. Yeah. And again, we had no idea at that point. It was, you know, it was like when I left people on roofs and, and, uh, and she's in Mississippi. Her, her, actually, her whole, town uh she's from uh, past christiane mississippi which is like 40 minutes due east along the coast from new orleans so it just sat and it it wiped out the entire town like leveled it to uh um the uh foundations like it was completely destroyed and the the only thing was left was like you know hundred whatever plus year uh oak tree uh stumps and it was like everything was just twisted, and it was. And we were there three weeks after, and it was. I mean, it was. It was. You know, as you had seen it, and and way way worse. Um, it it, lo- it looked so bad that it was like, oh, there's been like a set decorator here, like the best set set decorator. Like Stanley Kubrick's about he, to shoot something exactly. here. Exactly. It was like it was too perfectly miserable and horrible, and um. So yeah, that was that's when you and I met. That was I think. Well, yeah. at least we've done that show. We've done, and then you did the benefit show um, that my wife set up uh, for uh, building houses in that town or rebuilding houses. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no, you were hugely helpful. By the way, it was it was great. So, oh, you're very nice. Yeah, yeah. You're very nice. I think back to that um, week that we were at Bumbershoot, and all of the comedians we work with whose careers exploded oh, after so that funny howard kramer's it's, told me the same thing he actually has like a whole list of he goes he, he remembers who it was and when it's yeah. hilarious yeah it it was uh Patton oswalt who whose people knew of before oh, then yeah. but his career sure. yeah. had exploded flight of the concords right aziz ansari dimitri martin yep uh yep i mean the the list goes on and on. absolutely that's so funny actually that's the first time i had heard aziz and i had never met him and i was uh, i was backstage but i was hearing his voice on stage mm-hmm. and it was like you know he had this rhythm in his voice that was like you know very staccato sort of like you know mm-hmm. boom, boom, it was sort of um it was reminiscent of like hedberg you know he kind of sounded you know i'm sure that was an inspiration he was an inspiration yeah. you know at the time and you know everyone sounds like somebody in the beginning right but i was like he sounded kind of just like hedberg but he had good jokes and he was like i was like who's this guy like um, but he was, obviously he's found his own way and his own voice and his own yeah. his own uh, career. It's, he, I I don't even know him that well, but I know that he's he's he is prolific. Like apparently he he just just like remarkable with his work mm. ethic and changing jokes on the fly in terms of like in between shows and like like full on mm. you know well thought out joke, not just like oh not ad libbing improvising, but like right. so he's apparently you know. Um, but yeah, but people, yeah, people took off from. It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we all knew Flight of the Concords were pretty special, and they were like yeah. something big was going to happen for them. And what sweet guys, yeah, they it, were. That the amazing thing about them was just the um, 
there's sensibility, you know, like there's been, you see so many guitar acts and, 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 and you're like, oh, and it can be, and you see so many stand-ups and whatever, but like sometimes a guitar, guitar guy's like, oh, there's a guy at the promenade, you know, in Santa Monica. <laughs> and he's got, there's sensibility and like their fearlessness, you know, about different goofy, silly, you know, topics and, and just like, that's amazing. It was just Fully incredible. formed, knew who they were, knew what yeah. their voice was. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah, yeah. Well, enough about uh, about them. Let's uh, let's talk <laughs> about let's talk about you. Sure. Um, where were you born and raised? I was born in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, um, and uh, raised there. And pretty much, uh, did you feel like did you feel like an outcast being Irish? I did. Yeah, Irish need not apply. It's very difficult fitting in as a white Irish guy. In in an essence, an all white Irish, yeah, pale face uh, and freckled. Absolutely, it, yeah. it was very difficult. Um, it was. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I felt like Eminem. You know, absolutely. <laughs> the candy. You never. Not, you not, not the musician. I'm sorry. Did I, did I say, did I not say M and M's? Sorry. Um, so a uh, Boston Mass and yeah. Uh, yeah, Boston. What was the what was the home life like? It was, fa- I mean, uh, it was fantastic. The, uh, I mean, I lived in Wellesley, Massachusetts, which was, you know, it was perfect. I mean, I was very, very. Um, we weren't insanely wealthy, but we lived in a very wealthy town. It's where it's where like all the uh, the rich white, you know, uh, it would be the Irish and the and the wasps, you know, would live. It's like 20 minutes west of the city. Beautiful. You know, all you do is worry about like which backyard you're going to play wiffle ball in or mm-hmm. football or st- which driveway. Were your parents wealthy? Um, we were well off, but we were not like, you know, uh, there were some pretty – like, you know, the Celtics, members of the Celtics and athletes and the Red Sox, you know, lived in the town and big, you know, CEOs and everything. So we were not, you know um, – of that we had sort of like uh we had that we had a we had a nice house on the block but it wasn't like this ridiculous would you, know? you ever see any of the famous athletes around town oh yeah yeah like who yeah you'd see um i remember at the time there was um this was hilarious it was during like when the red Sox were miserable when i was a kid um but we had season tickets and you'd see this guy um mike torres who was a pitcher he pitched for the yankees but he also pitched for the red Sox. But when he was the Red Sox, of course, when he at that time when he was with the Yankees, he was fantastic and, and amazing. And when the Red Sox got him, it was like, yo, and like now he's done, or it's like he's a plant, and they've hired him to go ruin the Red Sox while we play and destroy you every year. Um, but he lived down the block from us, and would see him, and we would egg his house every you know that night before Halloween at. In that part of the country, we call it uh, Cabbage Night for some reason, which was ridiculous. But, you know, whatever that night is before Halloween, um, we would egg his house. We'd just go throw eggs at his house. Like, every every kid in the neighborhood would do it. And it was just like, he's like this professional athlete being paid whatever millions at that time or whatever the, the, the cost. And of was it thing. because he was a, a, a yeah, it was cause he, yeah, he was awful. Cause he was horrible at his job, which would be great. It would be great if like, it was it's the marketing guy next door. is horrible <laughs> at marketing. Like, we're going to throw eggs at you because you're awful at your job. And we know it. And you're a bad person at marketing, but he, um, yeah, Torres and, um, but yeah, it was, uh, there was one incident, um, in that town to give you an idea of the sense of like, you know, Boston with the, uh, history of race, you know, um, race relations or not, or lack thereof. It's mm-hmm. segregated. It's segregated. I mean, it really was a Chicago is very similar. Yeah. I, I mean, up. it's, yeah. I mean, it, that's the thing is too, is like I can, there's ignorance and there's people are like, well, I've never known any black people. I've never, I never lived next to anybody of any ethnicity and or a minority. And it's like, um, but then you, you get beyond, you learn. But I remember one point the, um, 
D. Brown was a player for the Celtics. He had just won the uh, slam dunk contest in the NBA All-Star game. He was building a house in Wellesley. He was getting his mail at a P.O. box at the post office. But, you know, he came from Celtics practice probably in a sweatsuit. Um, big, tall, black guy. Uh, but to an old lady in a Mercedes, that's a scary man. So he fit the description of someone who robbed the bank uh, an hour before. Oh He's handcuffed face down on the floor of the post office. Welcome to Wellesley. Welcome to fucking Wellesley. And, um, you know, that was, that was pretty, that's pretty telling. That was, I mean, again, this was years and years ago, but still, you know, it was... No excuse. I don't know what it's like now is my point. Yeah. Um, I would imagine it's exactly the same, but with bigger houses, McMansion, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, but for me, it was, you know, it was a sweet, uh, pretty, you know, I, you know. What was your emotional uh, life like? What was your relationship like with your siblings and your parents? Well, I had an older brother and a younger brother and, you know, all all pretty good. I mean, I definitely had, you know, um, uh the older brother would, you know, he would, he would take me out at times, but it was, uh, what do you mean? Take you out? Well, I mean, he would, you know, Beat uh, you up. uh, he would light me on fire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what take me out means, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he didn't beat me up, but there was definitely like a, like, there was never like fist to face kind of, I mean, there's a couple of those situations, but sounds like <clears throat> typical older brother, younger brother. Yeah. It wasn't, it, yeah, it wasn't atypical. It wasn't, you know, um, but, uh, there was, uh, you know, Catholic, Irish, uh, Boston. Uh, there wasn't a tremendous amount of of, of hippy dippy feelings. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> they, would, they would be like, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of stuff, repre- a lot of stuff repressed. Um, there was, uh, it's like one of those, it's like one of those great acting exercises where it's like you can see in the eyes that like there's so much behind there, but it's all just being kept in, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like <laughs> everyone's Cath- stuff is being kept in. And Catholicism is, yeah. is so good for that. Oh, it's yeah. It's like the greatest emotional Tupperware. Absolutely. And, and we weren't even that religious, but we fit that model. I mean, like we went to church on Sundays, but not all the time and never there was never like we went to Sunday school but it was like yeah. but it pervades never out of, it pervades the community yeah absolutely you know what I mean it's yeah. like yeah. You, that's if true people if the group of people you're hanging around yeah. aren't talking about right. their feelings and I mean boys at that age they don't talk about their feelings anyway no it's, it wasn't and we were heavily into sports and you know in that culture it just wasn't um, but you know there definitely was you know um, a sense of we were we were very well loved and cared for. I mean, you know, my parents went to every single game that we played and every play and everything that we did. And, you know, they devoted our their entire lives to to us, and it was pretty you know pretty amazing in in that way. Having said that, you know, they had they had us when they were in their early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there was no there was one there was one Doctor Spock book, you know, and that's it, that's it. So. It's not like um, it was super progressive, and uh, you know, on uh, you know, hippy dippy, where all the feeling. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was still like, like I remember, I remember hearing a lot, like you know, when you have your own kids, you can uh, you can parent the way you want, and it's like now I have a four year old, so now when I'm with my parents, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's very different. <laughs> yeah, we listen to it. It's like, and we were never, you know, again, there was no abuse, there was no none of that. We had a, you know. We and had a good, and Dr. Spock later came out and said that he recanted most of his theories about how children should be parented. One of his big things was, is if they're crying, don't go pick them up. Let them cry themselves sure, out. Sure, sure. Which now, yeah. I guess they believe is like oh, really, yeah. 
Yeah, actually, it's the opposite of that because we, you know, we have a four-year-old, and we're, we're actually raising our child in a pretty progressive fashion um, where it's basically, you know, it's leading with empathy. In other words, you know, we, you go to her when she cries, when she was a baby, and now she's almost four in April. But, you know, the idea is that you go, and they feel secure, and they know that, that someone's going to be there for them versus, like, that whole, you know, um, sort of tough love kind yeah. of scenario. So when do you trick her and push her down? A trick her and push her down? Yeah. Well, that's funny you say that. Because sometimes, you know, you wrestle and we were like yeah. running around and stuff like that. And it's weird because I, you know, like as a little boy, we'd wrestle all the time. But it's weird with a little girl because you don't, you just, as a little girl, like you don't. Um, and you're an adult. In a, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm an adult. Yeah. <laughs> but I wear a pinwheel hat when I'm, yeah. I'm with her. Um, but yeah, that's a little, little weird. But there is a... Because I think, like, oh, yeah, we're in a rough house. Like, yeah. not really. She's, But it's also, like, you know. Sure, she loves it. Though. Oh, she loves it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can't, you know. And it's so good for kids to have that physical, yeah. just the electrical oh, yeah. contact of the person who's supposed to care for you, you know, just feeling their body and them against you. Oh, and- yeah. She loves it. She's super, you know, she's, again, she's almost four, and she's still in that sweet stage of... Loving and caring and hugging and just sweet. That's and then like, such an adorable age. Yeah, it's, I forget. Do you have? Do you have no, kids? no you kids. Yeah. But it's you should get some. You should. Yeah. You should. Uh, you should rent some. My wife and I are, yeah. are thinking of abducting. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I have a uh, Mini Cooper um, at home that you could. <laughs> we can't get enough uh, in in the Mini Cooper. You just want to get one good one. You stuff. Them We're going to try to find a used Econo line. Mm-hmm. Uh, we figure we can pack about thirty in that, and then we can figure which ones we want, and mm-hmm. then just drop the rest of them off. You know, it's. I always thought that um, if I had one of those vans, those custom vans with the window treatments, you know, mm-hmm. I'd get the little curtains, you know, and then draw back. But then I have like a little mantle, and then put a hot pies out the window, and just you know, <laughs> <laughs> make it very, very appealing. But yeah, it'd be good for the good for the kids. Kids love pie, so. So let's let's talk about what what was your the the, the things that you suffer. Uh, that you're battling with right now is ADHD and and depression. When did those yeah. begin to rear their heads? And were there any kind of seminal moments, any snapshots from your childhood that kind of stick out to you and go, "Oh yeah, that 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 thing started to become an issue then." Yeah, I mean, I um, yeah yeah AD, ADD and and uh, definitely depression. It's like a, it's like a this melange of the two that I've sort of. Again, like it's you know left uh, left untreated for all these years, and I'm I'm 46 now, and um, it's one of those things where you know they, they feed each other and they manifest itself in low self esteem. Um, and my big thing now is reactivity, uh, because you know like ADD is somewhat of a misnomer. It's it's it covers way too many. It's not just about being distracted and. Um, although do you, I, do you get hyper focused? I get something I you're get, passionate I about. Get, I do. I get hyper focused, but I also um, are completely unable to prioritize. So everything uh, is important. The exact clean out a closet is just as important as an audition that's in ten minutes. So you must feel easily overwhelmed when there are multiple things on your plate. Very easily overwhelmed, and it's uh, it's because I just found out about this like you know. Uh, a few, I guess maybe a year ago now. I can't forget the even time frame, the timeline on it. But, um, but the remarkable thing is that it's like okay, um, and I'm actually going to do a, a stage show uh, about this. Um, my friend Brendan, you know Brendan Small. Um, I do. Plays, plays guitar. Yeah, guitar. Oh, yeah. And comedian. He's great, and he's going to direct it. And um, but and I'm working on it now. But it's like 
it's kind of uh, finding out about this now when you know when your life is is literally half or more than half over. It's unbelievable because it's like it explains every fucking moment of my life. It's pretty like I, I think back to seminal moments and it's like wow. Like and to answer your question further, sixth grade is when I sort of gave up academically and just was like, okay. I, I'm I'm not going to be an A student, but never even tried because I just kind of felt like because the self esteem was so low, but um, but then you know masked like you know my my parents um, they don't even know by the way I haven't even told them yet I will tell them probably on this podcast no but they <laughs> but you know it's like um, I'll get to it but it's still kind of this crazy thing I'm processing um, but yeah I remember like I was not able to read and remember what I read and I still can't. Like Do you I, find yourself reading the same paragraph over and over again because you don't absorb it? Yes, or not at all. Like the number of books I've read, I could probably count on one hand. and may not even remember if I've read them and don't remember what they're about. Like it's 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 that acute. And But now my reactivity is the real thing because, you know, the fact that you're unable to regulate your, your nervous system and I just, I hit the roof, you know, on get pissed off at little shit. And with a toddler, mm. you're triggered constantly and she's adorable and awesome as though as toddlers go and as kids go so she sees sort of like the best case but she's still a toddler she still has a three and a half year old brain but then sometimes i feel like a fucking three and a half year old and i forget that she's three and a half and not 30 and i you know i i hit the roof and have to repair you know and never has it been like a weird crazy dangerous thing but it's just like in the way in which we're parenting, like it's just not that's not the way we do it. Is it you know? is it that you get impatient and terse, or is it there's like an outburst of yelling? And all, then she cries? all of that, all yeah. of that, sure, all of that. What does it feel like after you have an outburst and she cries? Oh, it's it's it is devastating. It's devastating. And um, what do you say? What do you think? What do you feel? Well, I think that uh, I feel, you know, less. Uh, I feel worse as worse as I've ever felt in my life. I mean, it's, 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 you don't feel worthy of anything. You know, you feel like being alone. You feel like, I, I feel like I'm not, I shouldn't be in this. I shouldn't be married. I shouldn't be a father. Um, cause that's the other thing too, is I found this out after she's born. And it's like, I, I almost want to like go to some like, you know, like mountain, some version of passages, you know, that just deals with get healed and repaired and then come home. Like, okay, I'm okay now, which is ridiculous as a thought goes. But you almost want to be alone with this and fix that, and then. But that's the way I feel. But but in those moments when I have horrible moments as as a father, um, yeah, I, mean, I just feel I feel like a little kid again. I feel like a, like a horrible, sad uh, individual who um, you feel like a piece of shit. You just you feel worthless, and like how, and you look at her, and but in the moment when you when you, when I don't have that. Um, when you feel rage and you just want to be somewhere else, you want to leave. That's the other thing is I have these these moments where you want to just leave. And you and you entertain the thought and you start making plans to leave. Mm-hmm. And I'd never leave her alone in the living room, but just in terms of leaving, like I can't, I can't be with this family. I can't be with my family. I gotta leave my family. It's um and and they become very real. Um And by the way, that's a super common thing for parents to experience parents and spouses to um there's a survey we have on the website called Shame and Secrets, and people sure. 
share so frequently about being a parent and fantasizing about another right. life, leaving everything behind, even maybe changing their name, just starting completely yeah. new yeah. And, yeah. and leaving everything behind. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's it's like I just um I've always been a late bloomer to everything and um it's uh, and I think to myself, like now that I found out about ADD, I'm thinking like, well, that's why I, I, I knew all along. That's why I, I just, uh, I should be alone. I shouldn't even be in a relationship. I should just be around and like having occasional sex with women and then doing stand up and being on my, my bicycle and playing drums. And then, uh, that's all I need. That's really all I need, which is exactly what I don't need. I mean, I need, everyone needs love in their life. And I, you know, but I have those moments where I think I just, you know, and it's funny because I used to live in this studio apartment in New York and it was a great studio as they go. And it was in the West Village in this beautiful little neighborhood. And it's when I met my wife and, uh, and then I kid to her like, like you, you destroyed all of that. You ruined this by, by like getting married with <laughs> this kid. Now we have this beautiful child and a house. And but I, I'm, I'm always like, you destroyed that because I had it all planned out. I was living in that studio and there was a nursing home around the corner, <laughs> and I was all going to be alone for the rest of my life and just eating the same fucking turkey burgers from the diner. And I had all, all the same dry cleaning and everything all figured out. I drop my laundry off and just go over there and I move over there and then I just you know shit myself to death. And then, you know, in a, in a bed and hospice. And then, but I'm like, you ruined all of that. All of that. A rent controlled situation. And, um, but, you know, it's, but yeah, I do. And have there's those. a little part of you that is kind of serious. Oh, absolutely. Right? Oh, absolutely. Sure. I mean, I mean, there is a thing where, I mean, because, I mean, in all seriousness, because of my reactivity and because of the way um, I am, um, and I'm, I'm, I'll tell you how I'm working on it, but, um, my wife has been insanely patient, but we've also had like incredible amounts of of strife and struggle and and, and conflict. And I've discussed many many options, including leaving, including divorce, and all of that. How would that look? How would this feel? How you know? We've done it in a kidding fashion. We've done it in a serious fashion. And most of it is heat of the moment during a fight, mm-hmm. where we go to that horrible place, you know. And then we fucking calm down and realize we're like... By the way, yeah. I've, I've always done that as well. I struggle with ADHD. And when yeah. I get into an argument with my wife, yeah. um, much less now, but I used to, it right. would, I would go nuclear. It right. would be like, I'm not, right. this isn't meant to be. Right. You know, maybe right. we shouldn't be together. And right. she would always say, why does it, why do you have to go to that, to that place? And I think yeah. it's because I feel overwhelmed in every single thing is of equal importance. Sure. And yeah, it's that all or nothing thinking. All or nothing thinking. I did that, you know, in, in on Jane Street, my old in, in New York, all or nothing stuff. I did that all the time. At one point I threw everything out in my apartment. Every I was left with like a futon bed thing that had, it was <laughs> those futons that had like a cow pattern futon. It was just mm-hmm. like the super collegiate version of a mm-hmm. futon. And my desk and then my loft bed and, you know, my clothes, my bike, and that was it. Um, I pulled the TV. I did yank cable. I put books in my oven. I wasn't reading the books. So I put the books in the oven. I shut the gas off because I didn't cook. <laughs> so I had books in my oven. It was just like, but I think I had maybe I'd watched like one show about a monk, you know, on PBS. I'm like, well, that's me. I'm going to be that guy. And also a comedian living in, you know, the and, 2000s. And that made you know? sense to you. Like, I just need to right. to pare it down. And in a certain way, yeah. I agree. Because I think there can yeah. be something really sweet and nice about simplifying your life. But yeah. it sounds like yours came from a place of uh, kind of uh, 
maybe a little drastic and a little impulsive. Yeah, and I wasn't reading enough. I had all these books, and I was watching too much TV because it was like, you know, the babysitter for you when you live alone. Like, oh, I can escape. It's just an escape mechanism, the TV. And sports was sort of my, you know, um, drug for that, you know. Um, being from Boston, you know, grew up with sports and, and playing sports, and it was a big part of my life. And um, But, uh, but yeah, so it it's been really unbelievable that the what i've learned about myself and and the thing is too is like you know when having a kid you can't hide from anything because like everything gets served up back to you about your own childhood and about your parents parenting and and because there's nowhere to hide and they know and she's she happens to be super into i'm not even like going my daughter's you know but she is very she doesn't miss anything some kids do miss stuff she doesn't miss anything and um so, you know, in the way in which we're pan- parenting um, is uh, a way in which, you know, we're, we're leading with empathy. We're, we're teaching her to be in touch with her feelings, not to be corny, but it's like we're basically. I don't think that's corny at all. No, I but I mean, it's in beautiful. Terms of, yeah. It is beautiful. And it may, but it's also kind of like, you know, and some of it does get gets to I get too much of the Boston Irish. I'm like, oh, fuck that shit. Yeah, fucking what the fuck, you know, <laughs> but it is overall the approach is it's working. I mean, yes, she's four gonna be for but like she's talks about her feelings she she knows when i'm upset and she says papa you you know you can't talk that way to me i mean she's she's it's kind of it's wow. un, she's incredibly verbal and um my fear is that she's she's peaked this is this is it this is all we're gonna get <laughs> but it, it is it, it's kind of amazing so far and um but so it, it, it which is even more reason why when i erupt and have my horrible moments where i feel so fucking miserable because she's um i mean she's she's unbelievably sweet and you know she's just you know does she get scared or yeah she she does she she does she'll get scared and um and again i've never done anything where i'm like i better fucking call somebody i remove myself i mean i remove myself in the room which is what they've said to do which is you know you go to the room and you hit your pillow of your in your bed and uh but you don't show her that because you just get the crap out of her. And I've done that. Um, the biggest thing is repairing. That's the biggest thing, and um, is to uh, to let them know that it's not your fault um, because that's what they. It's not their fault. Yeah, it's not their fault. Yeah. It's not the child's fault. And it's that's that's what we all had as kids. We always thought that when someone gets mad, it's our fault. And that's why we're all in fucking therapy and everything because you're like, oh, yeah. But it was never discussed. Like, oh, by the way, that huge eruption right before the ski trip, that had nothing to do with you. That had to do with something 30 years ago and things at work and, you know. Um, so, but I was never told that as a kid because they didn't know to tell you that. You know, that's the thing. Is like They didn't even know themselves. They didn't know themselves. And, and, and uh, I mean, it's... It's devastating. Uh, I mean, my 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 dad's mom grew. Uh, excuse me, grew. Uh, when he grew up, she died at eleven. His dad died when he was eighteen. The week he graduated from from uh, high school, um, they had a. You know, my dad was in college when he had my older brother, and then three years later, me. Um, they didn't have the tools. They didn't. You know, uh, it's kind of remarkable that they that. I mean, judging from. It's kind of amazing because, you know, growing up in a rich town and, you know, where dad's doing this and dad doing this, there's a lot of that stereotypical kind of behavior where it's like dad's not around or dad's a business trip or busy. And some of them are like, well, that guy's a CEO. Like, yeah, he's a busy man. He's a busy guy. His schedule's pretty brutal. Other guys, you know, and, um, but, you know, 
you know, I've looked around my childhood, at, you know, and I think like, oh, what were the parents like? And it's like, relatively speaking, I had it. I was very, very fortunate, very, very fortunate um, within that model. Um, Give me some more snapshots from from your childhood. Actually, before we do that, yeah. share some of the things that you've said. Like when you said your your daughter says, "Papa, you can't talk to me that way." What are some of the things that you've said to her that have made her say that? Well, it's my voice, my tone. The, the biggest thing is tone. When okay. I get, when I I forget that she's three, and I think that she's thirty. I talk to her like a thirty year old, or or a thirteen or a twenty three year old. You know, it's like, um, and it'll be you know, um, when are you going to make something of yourself? Yeah, you get a job instead of sucking your mother and I dry. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it would. What do I say? I guess it's probably something to the fact of um, trying to reason with her um, in a brain that does that. That her cerebral cortex isn't developed at all to that point where she understands that. You know, and re- yeah. she's she's three and a half, and you know, when you, in a two a two year old, I'd say to her, at two years old, I'd say stuff like to her like. Trying to like you know like why don't we just you know we just put the pajamas on and they we, look we're, look we're doing pajamas and we're gonna do teeth and then we're gonna do diapers okay now I I don't care what order that is but we're gonna do and it's like you fucking flip my lid I'm like what, what like you can't talk that way and like you can but it's not gonna get you anywhere and it's gonna be upsetting and it's gonna be intense and there's been and times she's when gonna I've, shut down she's gonna shut down and she's gonna get scared because it's like I'm gone I've gone from hi honey you're talking to this sweet and reading books and. Mm-hmm. You know, Frere Jacques to what the fuck? You know, yeah, like and then she's going to be on edge because Wednesday are going to explode. I don't know what yeah. sets them off. She can't. Yeah. She can't read your mind. Yeah, I mean, I've I've never. Yeah, she can't read your mind, and she has. It's just she's seen, you know, someone who she you know, uh, in that capacity, it's, it's a one eighty for her. But also too, that the amazing thing is, is that like when she does a 180 on me like she does that she's you know uh, and it's developmentally developmentally appropriate where everything's all great and we're eating pancakes and we're having fun and all and you're like oh, we want some milk and then um for whatever reason uh i give her milk and she's like that's not milk even though it's like that's <laughs> what this milk in there and it's like dealing with a third world dictator where you're like you bring you know baubles these aren't but like no they're clearly diamonds they're i asked for diamonds these are diamonds and they're not diamonds like off of the head and it's like it's fucking crazy like that because she will she will snap like that and it's either because she's hungry or tired or she's three or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. But my problem is that I get into it and try to reason through that, which is right. ridiculous. What tools have you learned to get out of that mode? What's the healthy mode to, to get into? To extricate yourself from the room and take a deep breath or to change the way that you're dealing with her in the moment? Uh, all of those things. I mean, the, um, been doing a lot of – I shouldn't say I've been doing a lot of meditation. I'm supposed to be doing <laughs> a lot of meditation. <laughs> Um, but no, a lot of that stuff is just trying to stop yourself in the moment and take a deep breath and to realize that like, she's a maniacal individual who's not a maniacal, who's just a three-year-old, but seems like that, um, instead of getting pulled into that energy. And, um, a lot of times now I'll just, I kind of shut down, um, just go neutral, you know, Mm -hmm. and just sort of, there's a, there's a thing called stay listening, which, um, and again, some of the stuff gets new agey and whatever, but you know, it's all based on pediatric neuroscience. So it's all based on real new science. A lot of stuff is out of UCLA in the last 10 years. Um, so it's kind of amazing, but there's just the idea that stay listening is the fact that like, um, just the fact that you're there 
And because, you know, she's going to go. She's going to do what she's going to do. She might throw something. She might scream. She might yell. She's got her back. It's that classic mm-hmm. so-called tantrum. And they refer to it as big feelings, which is pretty hilarious. Like, yeah. I'm having big feelings. And, but um, which I don't like. Some of the language I'd have a problem with, you know, as a comedian, as like a man. And it's like sure. it gets very like, you know. And I'm like, am I going to have to put a scarf on like around <laughs> my head for the, to, to say big feelings? I don't want to do that. It feels, I feel like I should be at a drum circle and, you know, and it's just, um, but at the same time, that's what it is. Cause tantrum is a negative. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's her. Oh, you're acting up. Oh, she's trying to get attention. It's like, she's fucking four. She's four. Of course she's trying to get attention. How else would you do that when you don't have the verbal capacity to get your attention? She you flip out, so to speak. But um, I lost my train of thought, but uh, as is often the thing, I forgot where I was going with that. But um, but the, yeah, the uh, stopping, the, the big thing is reali- realizing that, forget, not forgetting that. Stay listening. Yeah, stay listening. Stay listening is the fact that just like, you're just there for you put a hand on her back and sometimes she'll shake it off. You're like, don't touch me, Bob. You know, and you're like, okay, well, you just say literally like, I'm, I'm here if you need a hug. I'm here. Um, if you need me, sweet pea, and you know, and um, I call her sweet pea. I'd be ready for a name it just with sweet pea. Yeah, we named her sweet pea. Well, that's probably the problem. <laughs> that's probably the problem. You don't name your kid sweet pea. That's from a <laughs> fucking cartoon. Um, but uh, yeah, so you just kind of stay there. Less is more in those instances instead of trying to fix it. That's the big thing with the parent that we're doing is not trying to. You're not trying to fix stuff. You're not trying to avoid the so-called tantrum or the eruption. You just navigate them through that because those are going to happen and they're so natural and they're important for her to erupt and to, to get her feelings out. And you say, yeah, and a lot of what you say most of the time is, is yeah, I, I know it's, it's hard. It's, I'm so, it's hard and I want this. Oh, I know you want that. I know you want that. I wish you could have all that. And it's kind of going with all those things. Yeah. So if it's a cookie, whatever it is, and you know, that's the thing. We don't give her a lot of sugar, you know, cause it's like, that's the worst fucking thing ever as it turns out. But like, if it is a, a cookie or, or a, you know, thing, uh, like yeah, I wish. she's. I want that. You're like yeah, I wish you could. Have, you know what? I wish you could have fifty cookies. I'd like to have five hundred cookies right now. I'd love to, but my body can't do that. It needs other foods. We need other foods. So it's that kind of going with it versus fighting. Like no cookies. If, if you're and there's no there's no like if you do this, you get a cookie. There's none of that shit. What did it feel like when you first did that and you got through that moment? Without losing your temper. Oh, it's unbelievable. You feel like a you know, Obi-Wan, Dalai Lama times 10. It's a remarkable because you just, you know, you're calm and you, and you, you know, you never get into that, to that love red level and, and it passes and it passes and it's, it feels remarkable. Um, and you feel, yeah, you feel, I mean, me personally, I just feel really good about myself, which is important. Um, it, it reminds me a lot of what I've heard about DBT, which is um, uh, a thing that people who live with borderline personality um, learn to use as a coping mechanism, which is about expressing uh, what you're feeling and often the desire that they have to be heard. Their fear often comes from feeling abandoned and not heard, and they learn to express themselves and their loved ones learn to listen to them and express that they're listening and they hear them and they feel them and that uh, does a great amount of soothing uh, the overwhelming feeling that the the person uh, who lives with borderline personality feels although now it's called emotional dysregulation disorder Mm -hmm. Um, it calms them down because they're assured that they're being heard and felt 
which on some level right. I think we all I think everything comes back to that that we we feel like um we're that, separate we're that's exactly it heard and felt is the thing with her uh my daughter is as as kids you know we were heard to a degree we were able to feel to a degree but like most of that is just you know Life is hard, tough shit. Like, suck it up. Yeah. Suck it up and deal. And and put the problem solving aside and yeah. just let somebody know that yeah. you hear what, they're, what they right. say, you understand what they're saying. Right. And it doesn't have to mean that you agree. Right. With Absolutely. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And in, 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 in this instance, it's heard and, and, and uh, let, they just want to be heard. They're, one of the amazing things I learned, too, was the fact that, like, um, the, you know, when kids are, you know, will touch a, touch a plug or do something that, and they do it again and again and again. And, you know, people used to say, like, oh, you're just getting a reaction. Just just trying to get a reaction out of you. And they are getting a reaction out of you. But they're not doing it to get a reaction out of you. They're doing it because the way their brain works is the fact, especially little, little kids, is they, uh, they're like little scientists. And in order to form a hypothesis, you would never do it based on one experiment. You would do it again and again and again to prove that this keeps happening. So they are touching something or going at something to see what it's like, to see is it really bad or is it good or is mm-hmm. it you know, just to, to really to, to literally feel it out. And it, But it looks like, and they look at you because you're responding to it. But they look at you and they touch it and it looks like they're going, ah, how about this? Fuck you. How about I'm going to touch it again? Yeah. Fuck you. How about this? Are oh, you going to even more mad? I'm going to touch it again. In other words, they want to see um, and that's how they figure stuff out versus... So do you let them touch it again? Um, or, or do you say, let's please not touch that? It depends. Well, it depends on the thing. If it, if they're in danger of any kind, like it's a plug or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you you just put a hand in front of them and say it's not safe. You know, it's actually not safe. What touch. about hosing them down so the shock is bigger? <laughs> what we like to do is uh, take two uh, symbols and I come right up behind her <laughs> when she's about... Marching band symbols, right up in as she's putting her hand on the Sousa yeah. can be so instructional. Yeah, actually, the best thing is that we have these. We have this uh, new house, and it has the code now is these new plugs, these three prong plugs that you actually have to put in, uh, put something metal like two prongs of a plug into it to activate anything. Mm-hmm. So you can actually touch it with your hand. You could even lick your hand water i like to lick my hand and then put your hand on it and you'll get nothing no charge out of the out of the thing but it's hilarious because parents have come over with their kids and like the kid goes i'm like no go ahead watch this and then like, <laughs> you just like like no like no watch adele so, but it's pretty hilarious but yeah so it's yeah i mean if they're in peril then absolutely um and uh it, you know, that's not a toy or that's not safe or you know when did you realize that your ADHD and your depression had become unmanageable and clearly you didn't know that's what it was then but when did it reach a boiling point and are, are we missing any snapshots along the way in your youth your your teens your 20s your 30s were there are there any snapshots you can give me that are I'd like to use the word snapshots one more time um, yeah yeah are you, you sponsored keep, by snapshots I am <laughs> snapshots.com go visit it now they're a tremendous sponsor Knock.gov. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew, I mean, I remember being very depressed in, um, and never wanting to go to high school, uh, to, to school every day during my high school years and dread, you would wake up with dread. Yeah. I really just dread. I would do everything to just pray for a snow day. 
you know, in a New England. Those were the greatest. Because you know, you're from Chicago, so yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the greatest. Like, oh, and I would always plan homework according to the weather. So if there was miserable weather coming, I'd, no, I'm not going to study for that fucking test. <laughs> and I couldn't study anyway. And I didn't have any self-esteem. So I was like, I'm not going to get an A anyway. I'm just going to, you know, I'm the good, at, great athlete, or good athlete, great athlete, and borderline. But, you know, I'm a good kid. I'm MCs. You know, this, this is what, I'm a yeah. hockey player. I don't fucking get A's. There's no need. I didn't know you play hockey. Oh, yeah. I played I played in college, and that was my whole life till, you know, after college. And then I realized I'm not going to be in the NHL, so time to... I had no idea. I play yeah. hockey. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, where, where, did you, where did yeah. you play college? Lake Forest in Chicago. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Division two. Small schools, like 1,200 students, but we were good. We had a lot of guys from the Midwest and a bunch of guys from Massachusetts and Canada. And, um, you know, it was. You, you strike know. me as a center. No, I was a defenseman. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love defense. I like yeah. to say the bastion of the talentless. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was like, you know, I was pretty quick. I wasn't that, I'm not big, but it was, uh, I was actually the smallest defenseman on my team. That's why I figured you yeah. were center. Yeah, no, I know. I was probably 20 pounds heavier. Like, I was like about 180, 185 of, you know, I'd get muscle for the summertime. So you were puck, puck moving? You carried the mail? Yeah, I was, uh, but I was good, but I wasn't, you know, I was quick, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't that physical. Um, but I mean, I think I saw myself as definitely like a hockey player and I just kind of had, and there were hockey players probably getting A's and they absolutely were. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, my roommate was smart and he got A's and, but it was I. But I had carved out this, like, identified myself as like oh, I'm a C student, a hockey player, you know, which was kind of it was self fulfilling, you know. So you were giving me some snapshots. Um, yeah, so okay. in high school, you you retreated into uh, into hockey. That was something that you could pour yourself into that you were yeah. good at. That yeah, I mean, sports was you know I played soccer, hockey, and baseball, and you know that was definitely a source of of happiness. Um, I think I was you know. Uh, I was a really nice kid, you know, a very, you know, well-mannered, you know. My parents taught us anything that would be, you know, how to conduct yourself, you know, and mm-hmm. how to how to treat a lady, how to be cordial, how to, you know, that was very important. Decorum was very important. Um, it wasn't like old English decorum, but there was, you know, um, you know. Do you, you enjoy laying your jacket down for a lady over a puddle? All the time. And in New England, yeah. how many jackets you'd go through in a year? Because you leave the jacket there, right? That's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't go back and get it. No. Um, the uh, so there was, yeah, there was, um, you know, the kids in my class were, I'm sure they're all nice and wonderful people, but at the time, there was Slim Pickens. There's a 37 uh, kids in my class, all boys, Catholic high school, and it was. Um, you know, it was like some of them were a lot tougher than I was, you know, and I, despite the sports, I just wasn't like a tough kid. And, you know, some of the kids were like, you know, they acted tough, but they were from like a rich town. They're trying to act, you know, it was hilarious. Um, and some of the kids are just tough, but I wasn't really like that, you know. Um, so I didn't really fit in, but I had the sports sort of save my ass. Like if I wasn't a good athlete, I would have been kind of fucked. You know, I would have been with the so-called nerds at the time, which is, mm-hmm. which is by the way, awesome that nerds rule right now. Like, yeah. And they have for several years, but it's pretty awesome. It's like, it's hilarious. Yeah. I'm like, I remember you. It's like, oh, now you have your own TV show. <laughs> and now you're fucking amazing. And you're fucking- In your healthy. own corporation. In your own corporation. You're fucking everything in sight. It's kind of amazing. Good for you. <laughs> and it's great, but it's, and it's, that's, you know. So I had a, um, it was a hard time during that. And the thing is, you know what? My, my parents never knew. I, I hit it. Um, very well. 
and I realized that later on. Um, I never got beat up, but I was in one. I was in one major fight that was kind of like an old Western fight that was kind of classic, and people talked about you know where I I reluctantly fought this kid who later we were friends before and after you know not tight friends but we both were like what the fuck was that all about we were like peer pressure literally the old cutting in line yeah you know taking my milk money kind of you know yeah. what are you gonna you're gonna, you gonna listen to that you're gonna you're not gonna do anything about that i'm like you know but it's like <laughs> he cut me in line we all sat down and ate he sat at a separate table and we ate our meal and then later on <laughs> in the student lounge he was on the phone he's on a pay phone in the student lounge, and I was like, people were like, are you going to fucking take that? You know? And I, I go up and I push him, and he literally was like, oh, like I'm on the phone. I was like, oh, okay, I'll wait till you're off. <laughs> and then, like, I pushed him again, and then he threw the first, I pushed him hard, so, you know, yeah. forcing him to punch me. But I wasn't going to throw the first punch, because I was frightened. And, uh, but when he hit me in the face, and we both had braces, when he hit me in the face, like, I've, I've never, you never felt any pain like that you know and it was it just it i fucking snapped and he snapped too but i really snapped and i think he ta- he it was like a it was like it was like a western he, we like we went literally he tackled me over a table and <laughs> i'm not sure but somebody might have broken a chair over somebody's back at one point but it felt like that but we pounded away at each other for a good amount of time mm-hmm. as those fights go did it end with a whore at the top of the stairs shooting a gun yeah that's yeah exactly with her, her what do they call that the uh you know her leg her dress yeah, up and her the, garter uh, the garter right um it was sissy's basic um but it was uh one of those things where you know we beat the shit out of each other and there's blood everywhere with the braces and the lips and the cut you know it was but there was no teacher for quite a while um you know, when we're in ties and jackets, you know, at Catholic high school and, and he, you know, literally sitting in the principal's office, he's like, what the, what the fuck? Why did you, why did you do that? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Whatever. I don't want to talk right now. And it's just like, <laughs> uh, you know what that sound means? It's time to give our sponsor a little bit of love. Our sponsor for this episode is dailyburn.com. It's a, you know, can I just stress how important exercise is, especially for people who are battling mental illness, especially depression. I mean, it's great for everybody, as I'm sure you know, but um, for me, if I don't exercise regularly, um, my mood gets really, really flat, and then I don't feel like exercising. And uh, dailyburn.com is a really great place to go ease into it and then work out as hard as you want. They're, they, they have workout uh, videos, a um, huge variety of them, uh, to bata, to interval training, to yoga. Um, you can work with or without equipment. And uh, here's the great part with programs ranging from 15 minutes to one hour. You know, sometimes when I'm stuck in that rut and I just can't exercise, I'll say, you know what, today I'm just going to do one sit-up and one push-up, and then tomorrow I'll do two. And um, I think that's a th- that's a good way to uh, to ease into it. And then once your you know your adrenaline's going and you're working out consistently, you feel like working out. Um, Anywhere, uh, go check it out. Uh, you can access your workout from anywhere. You can connect across multiple devices like Roku, iPad, iPhone, and soon PS3 and Xbox. And just for Mental Illness Happy Hour users, get the first 30 days free when you go to dailyburn.com slash happy hour. Um, yeah, Daily Burn, the best fitness anywhere. So give me the uh, an arc of your, of your struggles, um, how it began to get because clearly it must have gotten worse for you to say i got to go see somebody to, to yeah. deal with this yeah i mean I, I think 
my biggest issue has been um, uh, the uh, self-regulation, the aspect of ADD for me, because it's um, that ability to like uh, to put everything on the same level of importance. Um, and you know who moved my shit, and you know, and and then being in a relationship, and I think, you know, I think to the point where uh, my wife was just, we were in therapy together. I was, I've been in therapy for a long time, you know, individually, and we got, we were going together. What um, made you go to therapy on your own originally? Um, because I did, I didn't know what I wanted, you know, like one of the things about not having ever having everything at the same level of importance is also not knowing. Not knowing how to prioritize, but not having any self confidence in that your decisions you're making are good. Like, should I do that, or is it? It's like, who's going to that party, or should I go to that party? I don't. It, it, there's that decision, and then there's like, should I be dating this woman, or should not be? Should I not be going out with this so woman? So decision making was yeah, agonizing. Like, like, is she the right one for me? It totally fucking agonizing. Totally, you know. But buying shin pads, hockey shin pads, and have the guy go to the top row at seven o'clock on a Friday night, you know, in a snowstorm. And that's a true story and be like everything, you know, like it takes me six months to buy a pair of sneakers on the Internet. Um, But it was all those things. But being in a relationship with my wife at the time, girlfriend at the time, rather, you know, I went because I wasn't sure, like, if I was going to lose her or if I should keep her or if I should try to fight for, you know, it was really a huge. So almost every day you had a battle in your mind of is this relationship right for me? Right. Absolutely. Is this turkey burger right for me? Are these sneakers? Is this really? Everything was like fucking self-doubt um uh at times just uh crushing self-esteem did you ever get confused um, and try to fuck the turkey burger and i once t- tried to fuck a mailbox yeah 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 <laughs> but right. yeah but yeah you like you do you get you do get confused and um but it also i'm intensely loyal you know i've never been the guy like a, a cheater in a relationship so i didn't want to do that you know either and like I've always been, you know, one girl, mm-hmm. and then I move on. And there's been a little gray area in some stuff, but not in most of them, mm-hmm. you know. And I've never even had—I haven't even had that many girlfriends. I had like a girl in college, or a mm-hmm. couple girls in college, and then you know, like after that, it was always sort of monogamy. So, so what brought you to therapy originally was you just your agony over making decisions and not feeling like you yeah. have a clue as to what's good for you, and and you wanted yeah. some guidance, right? Absolutely, and also you know, career stuff too just wasn't going the way I kind of wanted it to, and wanted to you know as a starting stand-up and um the big thing i was trying to figure out too of of uh you know i I never really liked myself i never liked myself as a kid i always wanted to be like another kid Mm -hmm. i always wanted to be like you know whether it be you know (laughs) it was like an eddie vetter stage and a lance armstrong stage and a bobby orr stage and a ray bork stage and a whatever it was you know it was like the artist or athlete du jour you know uh now it's a tom brady phase you know (laughs) Seriously? You no, know, well, I'm somewhat, but yeah. n- not really with Brady, but enjoying seeing Brady and Belichick, you know, yeah. um, while it lasts. But, but the, but I never really wanted to be myself. Always wanting to be um, someone else because I wasn't confident in myself, and that's why I went to therapy. And because I felt like I was going to lose my my girlfriend, and and um, so that helped me. And you know, the lady in New York helped me keep her. You know, and then we moved out here, and then. But I was so hard to live with. That's the thing is, like, I always lived alone for. I lived with my brother for a while in New York, and then lived alone for many years. So I got very, very, you know, accustomed to that. And there was no reactivity because all my stuff was where I wanted it. Yeah, I, I would imagine you get comfort from regimentation yeah. and sameness, right? 
Absolutely. And, um, which is why I threw everything out of my apartment, got rid of all my belongings and basically just had, you know, it was like the bare essentials. Um, cause I knew where everything was and there was no, it was a lot of order. Um, and, uh, but we started going to couples therapy because, you know, we were living like in a small apartment, which was even worse. And, you know, actually a little house. And she's was, moving your shit. Yeah. And it was like, and she wasn't even, she's not even that. She was very respectful. Has been, by the way, insanely patient and understanding. I think that goes that. without saying. It goes without saying. <laughs> just the fact that I'm, she's still, but it was, I became insane because that was also when we were getting married, you know, and I was crazy about that. And a little bit of denial about that, you know, um, and you know, to the point where like, I didn't even want to have a wedding. I just wanted to make a have a party and be like, not have you know, uh, not get any religion involved. And there was religion involved, like a light religion thing because of the family and all that stuff. And I was like so opposed and fought. And then I was just like, let it go because that's more decisions and more yeah, variables. And, and then more and... like my childhood with the Catholic stuff. And it wasn't even mm-hmm. Catholic. It was more you know, Episcopalian or whatever Protestant. But I was like having none of it. But I was insane about it. I just it assumed all. you were Catholic. That's a little yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I, I was. Oh, but she, she was. She wasn't. I gotcha. Um, but it was like, you know, one of those things where I was, I was really difficult to live with. And like, I think back now, like now knowing what was was the cause of all this, like, who the fuck would want to live with this person? You know. But at the same time, a loving, caring, you know, individual. But I was impossible, and still, it can absolutely be. Was it difficult for you to see your good qualities? What she loved about you? Oh yeah, like I, the voice inside my, the voice inside my head is the is the is the karate sensei from Karate Kid, <laughs> the, the blonde guy, yeah, you know, yeah. sweep the leg. That's the fucking voice inside my head about myself. Like after a bad comedy You're show, weak. I mean, oh yeah, I'm fucking, I'm I'm the worst. That that voice is is you know, it's not even. Like my parents, it's like a it's like a crazy monster that's fucking. Where do you think that got implanted? Was there anybody that talked to you that way as a kid? Um, I mean, I suppose it's a, it's an amalgamation of probably my folks and and just sort of, you know, coaching. Although I had good coaches, um, I don't know. I just felt, um, if it originated, you know, in family, it was left, you know, untreated. And then I just took it to a different, different spot. You know, it just fed itself. Um, yeah. I mean, never feeling like I would be, um, never, never having compassion for myself. I've never had, I'm still resting, I'm still learning more about that actually in the last couple of weeks. Um, been talking about it in therapy, about just so hard on myself. And, and when you don't like, when you're like me and you don't get anything done, you don't do your job, you know. It'd be one thing if you did your job and then you're hard on yourself, like oh, I'm going to learn from this. And there are times when I do that, absolutely. But when you're not prepared in some way, and then you do a horrible job, like I, the biggest thing is I beat myself up so hard, I have to have to climb all the way back up about a lot of different things, not just like a bad comedy show or a bad hockey game, like everything, you know. And that's where it's been so hard, and that's sort of the secret in terms of like high school uh, and in college and. Um, it was uh it was brutal. It was just it still is brutal when you when you have that feeling. Nobody you know? nobody has ever grown by telling themselves they're a piece of shit. And yet we do that because we think this is the mm-hmm. discipline I need. This yeah. is the this is the way out yep. is for me to yeah. instead of self reflecting with mm-hmm. self compassion, right. um, 
which is, I think, the the way to go. And to not dwell and to not obsess about yeah. it, but just say, how might have I handled that differently? Was I disrespectful to myself or other people? Was yeah. there dishonesty somewhere? Did I not stand up for myself or did I mm-hmm. unleash my anger on somebody else? You know, that's, I think, healthy self-reflection, but to mm-hmm. tell yourself you're doomed, you're fucked, you're stupid, you're yep. lazy, that's yep. never been helpful to anybody, and yet for some reason that's where we go. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, one of the problems, too, is the fact that, like, I don't work for anybody. I haven't worked for anybody since, like, 1998 or 1997 um, in terms of going to an office. Um, and I'm, I'm my, I'm the best boss in the world and the worst fucking boss in the world. You know, like my company should not exist at all. <laughs> You're it, talking about your stand up career? Just, just my yeah. whole thing, my whole yeah. career. Like it's like, it's, it's unbelievable how like I get, you know, uh, I give myself so many breaks and so many outs and, um, I don't make myself do things even though I know that they're supposed to do them. And within reason, I've gotten much better over the year. But like, but I think about homework wise, like I'd always get bailed out, you know? Um, And like, I'm, I'm my own worst enemy. And it's, it's, uh, it's when it's kept me, what, what, what it does is that when I found out about the ADD, I realized that why I've kept myself, from excelling in many many areas where I want to excel and, and stand up being being one of them um I, I I have a hardest time sitting down writing new jokes or I mean I think about stuff during the day but even then my mind goes elsewhere mm-hmm. gets distracted so it's been hard, very hard in recent years I started really well and then just sort of sputtered you know in terms of where I wanted you know I talk about the the bumper shoot thing it's like mm-hmm. there was a point where I could have like but I haven't progressed the way I want to um, at the same time, I'll go up on stage and fuck around and, and ad lib and, and mess around and do stuff, great stuff in the moment and everything and do really well and kill, but it's left there. People are like, oh, it's wonderful and great. And, but it evaporates. It evaporates. It doesn't go beyond that room that night. As you know, it's like, so, and I've been doing that a lot and riding that a lot and I still do and I'll do it tomorrow night. Um, because I don't have newer stuff that I'm happy about, but like. And I can get away with it to a degree, but like that's not an album, that's not a special, yeah. that's not you know what I mean. Like, let's get back yeah. to the the ADHD and the depression. So who sure. di- who diagnosed it? Was it uh, my therapist now? You know, and she. Um, this is separate from the therapist you were seeing with yeah, your wife. Yeah, this is actually a new therapist that I've been with for the last uh, couple of years now, or, or I guess you no know, year and a half, I suppose. And yeah, we started going to couples therapy, and she. Um, she pinpointed it, um, and it's um, this th- situation where she she pointed it out. She she basically was like, you know, it's a lot it's a lot to absorb, but go ahead and read up on it and do you know look at this and this mm-hmm. and and you know, in other words, discover it on your yourself. And but I'm gonna bet my career on it. Yeah. Um, and as it turns out, yeah, it's like all the all these things have lined up. And the the big the big thing the component is the reactivity, you know, and the lack of of uh, focus and discipline. Um, but it was the, the lack of compassion and the self worth, and it's like because the ADD is you know like so many other things that aren't described in that acronym. You know, it's like there's so many elements to it, and then combined with depression, 
and low self-esteem that just feeds into it. But it was, um, yeah, it's, I just couldn't, be- I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I totally believed it, but I, I just couldn't believe that. Like, check this out. The, do you know, who, uh, Edward Hallowell is, Mm-mm. he is, uh, driven to distraction is like the, the Bible of, you know, ADHD. He wrote this book and he's like one of the foremost dudes on this. Right. So as it turns out, the fancy school that I went to as a kid in grammar school, he actually worked at that school um, as the official doctor of the school of, of you mm-hmm. know the of the psychology. Um, he was getting going in his career out of, out of Harvard. He worked at the school at one point. My parents, I forget what years ago they told me that because um, we've always thought that something going on with me and this casually conversation. Like my mother said, "Oh yeah, they wanted to put you on Ritalin," but I wouldn't let them at the time. And uh, this is. And then, you know, and more recently I've heard I, that came to light and I was like, holy shit. But this guy, Hallowell, is, the chances are, I don't know this for a fact because I don't remember, but you know, I was a little kid, but there's a very good chance um, that he was in the same room as me uh, talking to me and diagnosing me. I mean, at, at first I was insanely pissed off about that because I was like, they could have helped me. Beyond Ritalin, they could have... Now my parents didn't know any better. It's, I don't blame them at all. They, they, I'm glad they didn't put me on Ritalin, as my wife has pointed out. Like you know what, if they put you on Ritalin, you never would become a comedian. Do you take anything now? Nothing. I take nothing. What I do is, and I don't want to. I suppose if if I need to at some point, literal push us to come to shove and all that stuff, then I will. But what I'm doing is. Um, meditating and on my bicycle my therapist was like Mm -hmm. i want you to ride for 45 minutes a day um build up a sweat um and meditate um and then i'm taking a bunch of supplements like you know um fish oil and omega-3 and you know now are you feeling um, a difference doing all these things i do yeah i mean the the bicycle makes perfect sense because when i when i don't do that i'm I'm kind of fucked Mm -hmm. um and i've actually read about a guy um Several people who've who've used cycling specifically um, because of what it does for the body when you're riding, the intensity of it and the, and the exertion level, um, and the decision making with the brain while you're on the bike and being mm-hmm. in the moment. Um, that and running, um, uh, and stabbing a guy in the face too. That's the third thing. That is, yeah, yeah. One of, it's a, like a hot fudge Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, but um. In much stronger, weirder cases, more acute cases, like with the hyperactivity and stuff, where that can bring all of that brain chemistry to where it needs to be to be able to to function well. Um, and getting off meds and and using the cycling, and it's kind of amazing. There was a guy who was a pro, like a category three pro rider, who got off, and he was he was on in high school and you know mm-hmm. um, diagnosed early. But um, I've also read that ninety percent of the people who have ADHD, adult ADHD, go undiagnosed and untreated, which is kind of amazing and explains pretty much everything that we <laughs> see and experience all the time. Yeah, um, and it's true because uh, when I describe my symptoms to people, um, some people are like, "Oh, I do that," and it's like, "Yeah, but does it interfere with your marriage and your job and your self-esteem every moment of every day?" Because it needs to do that. Because if it does that, we well, you got it. But if it doesn't, I'm like no, it's occasional. Like well, then you're, then you have a, you're just human. It's you're human, and you have a coincidental symptom, sort of. But um, 
but mine's acute and it's um you know and then to answer the question formally just you know i wanted to save my marriage and you know and uh you know be a better father and and i i i had no choice i mean there was there was no question that i had to get more and more treatment to continue to because you know i would lose everything i would lose my wife and child and home and and mm. uh that's certainly not what i want even though when you have those moments where you want to run away and drive into the ocean um you know that's not the answer yeah yeah I mean, it's miserable it's like and i've never thought about it i've been in those points where i've never thought about getting getting so low where i felt like a piece of shit and a piece of shit father and husband and a piece of shit comedian of like killing yourself i've never i've never gone and entertained any of that but you see where i get to the point where i've talked about it in therapy like oh i see where you can go mm-hmm. and it's like oh absolutely this this you know when you don't have this in check or address this like or you think it's ever going to get better that there's no solution gonna, there's no solution i can totally see where so boy it was a whole new level of empathy for that group of folks that you know it's like god that when you feel like there's no way out and um yeah it's like you just and you also see where there's those calls for help when someone you know like takes too many of this or Mm -hmm. drinks too much or you know call for help and you really do want help and you have an episode of some sort where the law is involved or or health issue and um but i also you know you know, I thought about all that stuff, and you because you hear about it, and you read about it. So you've seen, I've seen so many, too many TV shows and movies about that stuff, and you read about it, you see it in the news, and um, but you know, you see, I look at that little four-year-old face when she comes in in the morning, you know, and she hugs me, and it's like you fucking, oh boy, I mean that it's cliche, but you see that, and you're like, like how could I even think about, you know, either any of my life or even thinking about that, or or not getting treatment, not trying to help myself. Look how much of an effect you have on this little life. It's 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 unbelievable. Um, you know when she says something like, you know, Papa, you you can't talk to me like that, and she's goddamn right. Or I did, and here's why I did it. Papa's frustrated about work. Papa's, you know, um, upset because um, he's not sure if he's going to be able to uh, work more or do the right things for you and take care of you. I want to be able to keep you safe and healthy. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. like. You know, and explain to her that, you know, um, the reasons why I'm upset. Because it's fine to get upset in front of her. The matter of repairing and, and letting her know what it is that I'm feeling. Um, that's the most important thing. And she understands. It's kind of amazing. You know? And it sounds good, too, that she's getting a an example of how somebody deals with their flaws. Absolutely. Yeah, she sees how you are when you're upset and you see how you deal with it. You know, um, you see how you repair it. How how do you come down from that? Um, She witnesses how you um, cope. Um, And um, and that, hey, it's not always everything great and wonderful. And it's like sometimes you're pissed, sometimes you're happy. And if you are, what we can do about it? How can we feel Mm -hmm. better? And the cool thing is that knowing it doesn't last, even when you're miserable and so freaking sad, um, you know, it doesn't last. You're going to be happy again. It'll get through it. So. But the other thing is like when you, um, uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. I'd like to berate yeah. you right now for losing your train of thought and, oh, sh- you should. and shame you. Yeah, sweep the leg. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, uh, but the, I, the, the cool thing I learned is about meditation is the fact that like 
when you're meditating you're, and your mind go, wanders and you come back to the breath and your mind comes wanders comes back to the breath that exercise of of training your brain in that way mm-hmm. helps you to to train your brain to focus and to come back to and which is unbelievable to me mm-hmm. like that's sim- the simplicity of that mental exercise so there's no like i used to think when i first started meditating that like oh you got to think just clear your mind it's not about that at all. It's all about coming back to the breath, which is fucking amazing to me. There, yeah, there's no mistakes in meditation. No mistakes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's do, is there anything else you want to share before we do uh, hear your fears and your loves? Did you get a chance to oh, do fears and I've, loves, or did I? Did I not? I didn't do that, but I forgot to say that I have a, a penis and a vagina. Oh, that's okay. That's not important. Oh, okay, we'll just whatever. We'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything you want to share before uh, before we we wrap up? Um. I want to share. Um, you don't have to share anything if you don't if you don't have anything. I would I would say. Uh, Is your vagina bigger than your penis? Oh, much bigger. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like Staples Center. <laughs> um, if it was overgrown with trees, exactly, and filled with Kobe Bryant. Um. There is something I want to share. I can't remember um, what it is because I have ADD. But um, the uh, I think uh, there's here's the here's the cool part. The amazing part is the fact that um, you now that I know that I have this, you can use it for good rather than evil. Because we've talked a lot about a down stuff and this and that mm-hmm. and woe is me and all that and. Because I, I know really, I no longer feel woe is me. I just understand why it is that I do the things that I do. And to be able to sort of stop in the, myself in my tracks mm-hmm. when I'm on ESPN too long or Huffington Post and reading about some nonsense that I shouldn't be reading about, you know, and don't need to fill my head with. Um, it's just knowing it is kind of unbelievable um, that I can, you know, use it in those hyper-focused moments and... Um, that's the cool thing I've been doing on stage too, uh, despite like saying, Oh, I don't have new material and everything, but like I've, so you can kind of unleash it on stage and be all over the place and be off kilter in a, in a controlled fashion. And it's, and it's been working well because, um, they don't know where I'm going and neither do I. Um, and it looks like I'm making it up on the spot and I am, but even if I'm not, it looks like I, and it's kind of like an interesting energy that I've sort of know that I'm up to now and didn't know why I was doing it, but I also can, can focus it more and kind of go with it. It's kind of nice. It's kind of cool. And it's a different sort of offset of my comedic voice, which I really, I'm excited about, you know? So, um, but yeah, we'll see. It's, I'm still learning more about myself more than ever. It's kind of amazing, you know, at 46 to like, you know, it's bizarre and in in some ways i i wish that i had done this earlier but it's also kind of awesome that i'm doing it now or i'm 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 learning about it now well Um, i hope any parents who listen take comfort from your your honesty and your example that you don't have to be a perfect parent you just have to let your child know that you're human and you're and you're trying yeah and you hear them and you feel them Absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest thing is, and I could say on on that point too, it's kind of, um, I mean, this is is heavier and broader of a topic, but in terms of like having children, 
and like people always, oh, you're going to have another one? I'm like, I want to do one well, <laughs> you know? And uh, I, that's so, it's so, it's unbelievable. I didn't realize the importance of all this. It's like, you just have to love your kids and everything. Mm-hmm. But like, like we, we don't need any more repressed individuals <laughs> on the planet. We don't need any more people on the planet. If we yeah. stop making people right now, it'd be yeah. fantastic. But like, it's like, you don't, we don't need any more emotionally stunted people. Um, so a lot of the stuff is coming out. And it's, I, I think a lot of the stuff that, that we're doing now, you know, when that becomes mainstream, start seeing it on the Today Show and be like, good, finally. And I think you see more of it, but like, it's, and I don't do it all, but it's kind of, it is a fucking revelatory. I think you should have 12 kids and then you improve the chance that one of them is going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. And then you just cut the other 11 out of your life. But it's like, it's a loss. Treat it as a business. Absolutely. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Like, I, I don't, I don't get how people can have that many kids. It's like, I mean, it's so, I mean, obviously I know why, but this day and the resources alone, different yeah. topic, but it's like, you look around, you're like, like, really? Because we're going to be out of water in 10 minutes. <laughs> and you have six fucking kids in a minivan. And it's like an addiction. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like one or one or two. It's you Hey, know, if you can handle it and you enjoy it. I guess. You but, know, and the kids get nurtured. That's all. That's all good. Yeah. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, your life with us and being honest about your struggles as a parent. I, I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and... Uh, it's good stuff to talk about. It's kind of, you know, uh, obviously it's cathartic, but it's, it's, I haven't, I haven't talked to a lot of people about this outside of therapy and with my wife and, you know, close friends. So this is the first, actually this is the first time I really even talked about my ADD in this kind of a forum. I've mentioned it on stage a few times, but you know, I don't even know if people believe me. Well, you know, if I didn't force myself to get out of the house and go to a coffee shop once a day, I wouldn't have bumped into you. That's true. At that cafe. And that's this, right. This wouldn't happen. So yeah, yeah. I encourage people to uh, do things that are healthy for themselves. And uh, you never know what good things come out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks, man. Many, many thanks to uh, to Andrew. Um before I uh, take it out with a bunch of surveys, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the show. If you feel so inclined, you can go to the website mentalpod.com and make either a one-time PayPal donation or uh, a recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks a month, and it means the world to me. Super easy to fill out, and then you can uh, leave it and uh, just donates that amount every month and uh, you don't have to do anything until uh, your credit card expires or you uh, get sick of my bullshit and decide to cancel and send me into a funk and have me staring out the wall for uh, four or five hours a day. Um, uh, You can also use our Amazon uh, search portal. It's on our homepage about uh, halfway down, right-hand side. And that way, when you buy something at Amazon, they give us a couple of nickels and it doesn't cost you anything. And that's not to be confused with the search portal for our site. So there's two on the right-hand side of the homepage. One is to enter Amazon. The other is to search for keywords within our site. So certain episodes um, will come up. You know, If you want to know about ADD, uh, put that in. And um, it'll usually list either blog pieces that are about it or um, uh, episodes where that's touched on. Um, All right. This is from the babysitter survey 
which doesn't get filled out too often, but I find endlessly fascinating. And I wanted to read this one because um, one of the things that I, I hope to accomplish with this podcast is to talk about issues that fall into a gray area because they often leave us with the same feelings as things that were clear cut, um, but we really struggle to uh, process it because we feel like we're being overly dramatic or making too big of a deal about something, which is exactly what overdramatic is. But I felt the need to repeat that. This uh, is filled out by uh, a woman who calls herself Barfala, and she is uh, straight in her 20s, uh, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, ever been, uh, oh no, that's the shame and secret survey. Uh, I was babysat and um, there were several occasions of, first she writes, we were both female, second, we are still friends to this day and both in committed long-term hetero relationships. I was between eight to 10 years old and my babysitter was between 11 to 13. Um, actually, the more I read this, the less I think it was a gray area because I, I forgot that she was being babysat. And, uh, and you know, when that other girl was 13 and, and she was 10, even though that's only a three-year age difference, um, you know, the, other, the, the older girl was probably already developing. And um, that, I don't know, I think that's a, that's a delineation that, because that happened to me. There was a, you know, the kid that lived next door to me was uh, three, four years older than me. Um, but I was, you know, had the body of a child and he had the body of a, of a man. Uh, anyway, uh, there were several occasions where we acted out things of a sexual nature, whether it was laying on top of one another and grinding on each other and touching each other with our fingers under a sheet at a sleepover. I can't say that I wasn't into it, but I do feel there was a, a slight element of peer pressure since she was a little older and has always had a large personality, but so do I. Um, by the way, a lot of, and I'm not saying this is the case with her, but a lot of people that manipulate um, or do things that are, whatever you want to call it, abusive, um, can be very charming and have large personalities and really kind of lure you into letting your, your guard down. Uh, anyway, I didn't feel like it was abnormal. We both shared it with our current partners at some point in the last three or four years ago. I can't say that this incident in particular uh, affected me, but I did reenact the grinding out and, quote, play sex with another neighborhood girl, also older than me, a few years later. I also feel like I was maybe over-sexualized inadvertently as a child. Side note, as I am writing this, I am listening to the Erica Rhodes episode, and you just read a shame and secret survey from a listener wondering if the same type of child-on-child -child circumstances is qualified as abuse. Coincidence? I think not. I would just like to share with that individual that you can come to terms with this. I used to be ashamed as well, but there was no malintent, so I can only feel like we were both exploring our bodies as kids often do. It's nice to hear, as I'm addressing it yet again, that I am not alone. Um, in addition to what I just wrote above, I wonder what she really thinks about it. I also wonder if it, it all contributed to the brief but substantial girl-on-girl -girl porn watching I did in high school. It's hard for me now uh, to get off without some kind of penis in the picture. Um, I like to put my penis in the picture of family portraits. I find it, uh, I don't know, it just spices them up a little bit. 
But anyway, uh, I would definitely think that that contributed to the girl on girl porn watching. Um, I don't know. That that's that's my thought. Um, do you feel any damage was done? I think perhaps my parents would have murdered her at the time if they knew, but no, not really. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, here was another thing that she wrote. Um, there were a couple of times in my late teens that I met a couple of unsavory fuck buddies on the internet. By the way, you can go to unsavoryfuckbuddies.com and, uh, that's your home for unsavory. Uh, all were around my age, but that didn't make me feel any less grimy when we were done. There's one in particular where I even caught him telling me a fake name and I didn't care because I wanted so badly to be out of myself. Uh, even though he was a scumbag, I let him fuck me anyway. You know, one of the things that makes me think that this has affected you more than you think it is, is abandoning yourself in a situation like that not caring about yourself, which is a really common thing for people who have been um, sexually um, abused or had uh, something somewhat traumatic happen to them. Um, And as I always say, it doesn't matter what the intent of the other person was as much as what it was that you felt. Uh, This is an email I got from a woman who wants to be called uh, Calliope, and she writes... uh, Tonight was really tough. It was Valentine's Day, and my boyfriend and I, uh, we just celebrated six years together, uh, we had a really big fight. We never fight. I'm not sure what will happen between us, and frankly, I don't feel, I feel like I don't have to talk. I have anyone to talk to who will really understand. He's been my best friend for the past six years, and although I do have other friends, it is hard for me to share these feelings of frustration with other people. Basically, the whole fight had to do with my feeling taken for granted and his admitting that he has promised he would do better about appreciating me, though he has still done nothing to remedy this. And I wrote back to her and said, basically in a nutshell, that this is a really common thing with with couples and my wife and I uh, have gone through it many, many times. Shocker, I'm the one that was taking uh, her for granted. And I think the, the question that you have to ask yourself is how much is he taking you for granted and are there enough moments of him trying to not do that before slipping back into it that you feel like he's listening because there's a fine line between giving someone room to grow uh, and respond to your needs and living with someone who is all talk and I have gotten better at that with my wife and I think that's one of the reasons why we're uh, still together among among other things so that gray area would be a good thing to process with uh, an appropriate person, um, like a, a therapist or a friend who uh, has kind of a lot of emotional intelligence. This is from the Shame and Secret survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Rigori Gasputin. Um, and I just want to read uh, an excerpt of it because I just found it kind of... Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to read. I'm going to read the whole thing. She is bisexual in her 20s raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment uh never been sexually abused but was emotionally abused uh and not sure if she was physically abused Uh, my grandmother and mother are both very narcissistic and emotionally volatile although they've backed off a bit these days now that i've gotten old enough to take care of myself as well as old enough to outsmart them 
Throughout my childhood, and that's a, that is a sad word to have to use with a relative, um, somebody who's supposed to care for you, is that you have to outsmart them. Throughout my childhood, I learned uh, that to keep the two of them happy, I had to remain perfect at all costs, which included presenting myself in a way that would best benefit them, always agreeing with whatever they said and did, and never voicing any concerns, needs, or wants of my own. Essentially, I made myself into an android that catered to their demands without question and could also make itself invisible when necessary. Whenever I strayed away from these guidelines, however, I was viciously criticized and made out to be a horrible person for simply wanting to do things my way, no matter how harmless my choice was to begin with. I really don't know how to feel about the treatment I received growing up. Sometimes I want to blame myself for not doing exactly what I was told to uh, to avoid their anger, and sometimes I also want to empathize with them as I suspect that they may also have mental disorders that have gone untreated and that their hostile behavior was just a result of this. But even with that in mind, I just can't make myself let go of the things they've said, done, and help to internalize within me that I'm now having a difficult time unlearning. You know, I I don't think it's mutually exclusive um, having compassion for them and in understanding what they did and having to say this was a big deal to me. Um, I think you can hold both of those things in your mind at the same time because um, they are they are separate separate things. Uh, any positive experiences with the abuser uh, or abusers? They've made sure that I was fed, clothed, and sh- had shelter. They also acknowledged my. By the way, that's not. They should do that. So. Uh, they also acknowledged my birthdays, brought me presents on Christmas, took me on road trips and all of that. And yes, this does complicate my feelings about them further. Many people may have had it much worse than me. And knowing that I was shown kindness from time to time, even when the relationship between us wasn't ideal, makes me feel guilty. Um, darkest thoughts. I think about beating certain people within an, within an inch of their life constantly, especially family members that I can't tolerate. It kind of scares me a bit. Man, I would really, really encourage you to take a break from them. Uh, it can really help give you perspective and uh, give you room to process it. Darkest secrets. I've never told anyone about a fellow student who used to touch me inappropriately on a daily basis in first grade. When I think about it years later, I excused it as him being a child who was possibly exposed to pornography by a family member and was just copying the things he'd seen while not really knowing exactly what it was that he was doing. But what I... What really disturbs me most about this is that while I did fight him off during most of these incidents, a couple of times I found myself allowing him to do it and enjoying it. And mind you, uh, he and I were seven years old. You know, that's so normal to, uh, to dislike the emotional context of what's happening, but enjoy the physical aspect of it. So you're not alone in that, and that doesn't make you... Uh, weird or different and I'm sending you a big hug uh, sexual fantasies most powerful to you most of my sexual fantasies involve me dominating a man preferably someone who's a lot bigger and stronger than I am yet is willing willingly placing himself in a submissive position for me to take advantage of how I please and sharing this doesn't bother me at all I'm more turned on than ashamed really that's awesome I love when people are unapologetic and um confident in what their their sexual uh, fantasies are um 
This is from the Happy Moment survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Letting Go. And she writes, I joined my first ever support group and on the first night I told my story. I just started talking and before I knew it, I was telling them all about my childhood trauma. All of my pain was flooding out and even though I was blubbering like a baby, I could not stop talking. They were all so compassionate and I felt so protected even though they were strangers. I have individual support outside the group, but I had no idea the level of healing I could gain from one night of being vulnerable with a group of people I had no connection with until that very moment. I am so thankful my therapist found this group for me. I am so happy I decided to go to a support group. Well, I don't have to tell you how much I love that. But I will. I love that. And that was my experience in support groups. And it changed my life. This is from the Shame and Secret survey um, filled out by a woman named Spyro. And I just want to read an excerpt um, from it because it touched me. Um, Darkest thoughts. I've thought about doing a public suicide. Give people a show. I could go out with a bang and then everyone would remember me. I've thought about killing some of my best friends, killing my parents uh, in their sleep with a knife, pushing strangers on the street into traffic, pushing little kids in front of buses or down storm drains, setting people on fire. It's so strange because in real life, I'm such a pacifist. I actually think it makes sense because you're a pacifist, because all that, you know, that it just seems like wherever conflict within ourselves can exist, those two seeds just seem to to grow together. And uh, that putting on a show uh, just made me think, is a magician's suicide ever punctuated by his assistant's hand flourish? Get back to me on that one. This is from uh, also another rarely filled out uh, survey, uh, young male abused by older female. Um, This is filled out by a guy who calls himself No Trauma, and he writes, a fifth grade girl repeatedly molested me by fondling my privates while walking home from school when I was in second grade. After the initial shock wore off, I actually began to like it and look forward to it. She went to middle school, and we didn't reconnect until high school in a typing class when she was a senior and I was a freshman. She continued to dominate my sub- submissiveness by having me dress up like a girl wearing her panties, bra, and dresses. I never became a cross-dresser, but I did like it, submitting to her fetishes. Um, I told a friend or two about her once I was an adult, but never as a kid or a teen. I think it fueled my fantasies about being sexually submissive to someone, whether a guy or a girl. Um, oh, I forgot to re- read that he is uh, bisexual, bicurious, but only around being submissive, and he's in his 50s. Um, and what kind of environment was he raised in? Oh, I guess they don't ask that question. Um, the feelings that come up as he remembers this are fondness, sexual excitement, longing, uh, and no shame. Uh, looking back, our innocence was part of the attraction. Um I have fantasies about someday recreating that situation. I wish I could afford to pay someone. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Sending you some love. This is an awful some moment uh, survey filled out by Karma Will Get Me For This One. Awesome name. And she writes, During Hurricane Sandy, I was living in an area of Manhattan that 
wasn't in a lot of danger of power loss. A guy I slept with in college was in town and ended up coming over for a hurricane hookup. I love that. I knew he had a girlfriend, but he had also had a girlfriend in college, and I knew he wasn't exactly committed to physical monogamy. Plus, I was bored and starting to get cabin fever. We fucked all over the apartment, took a break to go downstairs to the bar, which, by the way, was so busy the bartender didn't remember to charge us for our drinks, then came back upstairs and fucked more. Down at the bar, he talked to me about picking out engagement rings for his girlfriend and how perfect she was all while keeping one hand on my upper thigh. Jesus. Back upstairs after another round, he called her to say goodnight and tell her he loved her while I sat naked next to him on the couch. I woke up next to him in the morning and in the clear light of day and without a whiskey haze, I remembered how obnoxious I found him on a personal level. I moved over to the couch to get a few more hours of sleep alone, at which point he called out, where are you? I responded, I'm awake. I don't want to keep you from sleeping. He called back whinily, but I like you. A few hours later, I made us breakfast and tried not to gag when he declared from across the table that he just wanted to carry me around in his pocket all day. Oh, this guy's making me sick. I vaguely recalled agreeing the night before to spend the next day with him, a now horrifying prospect. I told him that instead I was going to go volunteer in an emergency shelter near my place. We got dressed, walked out of my way, walked out of the building, down a few blocks, and then parted with the kiss. He on his way back to the place he was staying, me on my way to the emergency shelter. I walked down to the avenue the shelter was on, turned the corner, walked down to the shelter, and walked right past the front door. I continued my path around the block to my apartment, went upstairs, and put myself back in bed, ecstatic, ecstatic that he was no longer in it. Uh, that is awfulsome. This is an excerpt from Shame and Secrets filled out by a guy who calls himself Super Friend. And he writes, I think about people I love dying. I think about being alone forever. I think about being violent with strangers, completely unprovoked. I remember walking in a parking lot and I had a per pervasive thought about a father holding his daughter's hand. I wonder if the father would chase me down or help his daughter if I were to kick the shit out of that girl. Like if I punted her like a soccer ball. I think a lot of people can relate to having those kind of intrusive thoughts. And uh, I hope you don't judge yourself for that. And if you do punt her, I hope it's good and you get three points. Although you wouldn't get that for a second. I hope maybe a, a, a Hispanic guy next to you screams goal when you do uh, when you do punter. This is Happy Moments, filled out by a guy who calls himself Keegan. And he writes uh, a little over a week ago. And this one, you know, could... It, it's kind of a bittersweet happy moment, but ultimately, definitely a happy moment. Um, a little over a week ago... Uh, over 10 years after it all happened, I called the police department for the city in which the eight plus years of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse and rape I experienced began and filed charges against the person who did it to me. I always told myself that filing charges wouldn't change or make anything better for me and I couldn't have been more wrong. Every person I spoke to, from dispatcher to officers to detectives, treated me as though it had just happened. Yes, they asked me why I waited so long, but beyond that, did nothing but the most they could uh, for me. They made, they made no assumptions that the case would go nowhere. They asked me if I needed resources for help. They apologized on behalf of all humanity 
and it engaged with me as a human rather than as a subject. They took me more seriously than anyone ever has, irrespective of the outcome. Taking this step alone was one of the happiest moments of my life. I will never forget every single sensation I felt in those moments. And actually, though immediately reporting certainly would have been logistically better, waiting this long has allowed me to be fully aware of just how tremendously healing the act of reporting to authorities is in and of itself. Thank you so much for that, Keegan. And um, wow, that just really, really moved me. This is from the Shame and Secrets filled out by Donna. She is uh, bisexual. She's 18, raised in a totally chaotic environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. This happened when I was a freshman in high school. A friend who I thought was genuinely cool asked if I wanted to hang out uh, around midnight. I snuck out and got really high. We were in his car. He suggested that we move to the back seats. He kissed me and things started to get weird. I started, quote, bad tripping. I didn't know uh, what was going on. He unzipped my pants and started to touch me. It was really hard to process everything that was going on because I was having a really bad trip. I opened the car door and tried to leave, but he pulled me back inside, closed the door, and said he wanted to, quote, finish. He unzipped his pants and tried to make me give him oral sex, but I forcefully got out of the car. He apologized after and took me home. You know, that definitely sounds abusive to me. Um, you know, and there's a there's a fine line, too, between guys being persistent, um, who I certainly was in my teenage years and in my 20s, and it makes me cringe to think how... Ugh. Um, but there's a, a, a fine line between that and not taking no for an answer. And, um, you know, for me, it was always about the demeanor um, of the of the woman because, you know, if a woman ever said no, um, you know, like, it that, that was clear, okay, this wasn't going to happen. Um, but, you know, there were some times where it was, it was done coyly like they, like they wanted to, um, they were torn. Um, and as I look back on it, 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 it's hard to not feel shame because I wonder how many were afraid of not being liked, um, having con- co- contact, you know, being dumped or, or, or whatever, and, or just being raised in that environment where, you know, girls, please, you know, don't upset anybody. Keep a smile on your face. Um, but I think it's important to talk about about these things because, um, you know, so much of life is in that in that gray area. But it really sounds to me like your demeanor was one of no, and I think that's a you know, and I, I think I want to say this to to guys and some girls is um even if that person isn't isn't saying no what is what is their demeanor and don't ignore that um cuz some people have a, a problem saying saying no now i'm beating myself up for how long-winded that was and i'm afraid that people are going to judge me not for about being long-winded but think that i'm a you know i don't know an apologist. 
which I don't I don't think I am. I'm not apologizing for that guy or but I think I am apologizing for what I did. I am. And I've and I've said this before on the podcast, but it stays with me to this day because I wonder I just wonder what feelings I left. I know for a fact that I left women feeling used and objectified. That I know. But I wonder how many feel violated. And and I I think that leftover memory in me is one of the things that keeps me from being able to fully love myself. This is from... I, there was more to that, but honestly, I... Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of... I didn't expect to talk about this or to have this stuff come up. This is from the Happy Moment Survey. Um, and I want to send her a hug, that 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 woman. And she had an abusive upbringing. And um, yeah, Donna is her name. And I, I, I want to apologize on behalf of guys like me that were like, were and are like I was. Um, all right, let's get to some fucking happy shit. Now I'm thinking about going back and editing all that out, but no, I'm leaving it in. I find that the stuff that I want to edit out is often the stuff that connects me to you guys more. And um, I know you don't judge me. And if you do, fucking keep it to yourself. (laughs) This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, I love this kid. Um... One of my cousins has a three-year-old on the autism spectrum. I'll call him E. When I first saw them earlier this year, he wasn't verbal and mostly treated other people a little more than furniture. At Christmas, they were over at my parents' house. I knew that E had been building his vocabulary and behavior through specialized education and therapy. I didn't know his new obsession with microwaves. My mother was heating up appetizers, and when the microwave beeped, E looked up from the living room, then made a beeline for the kitchen. He walked up to me, took my hands, and led me to the microwave, looked right up at me, and said, up. This was the first purposeful contact the kid had ever made with me, so I was obviously ready to do anything he wanted. I picked him up and opened the microwave. He reached over and closed it, then said, shut. Thank you. After that, he even let me smother his beautiful cheeks with kisses. That is awesome. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself McDuck. He is straight, uh, 21 years old, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. 
Um, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Some mutual experimenting with a boy my age when I was around seven or so. Never felt like it was particularly abusive or anything. That doesn't sound like uh, abuse to me. It sounds totally normal and healthy. Uh, darkest thoughts? I had... I was in a weird toxic friendship with someone I was emotionally dependent on for a while and that friendship ended. I often think about really dark stuff involving her, raping her, murdering her, etc. Deepest, darkest secrets. I've purchased multiple pairs of used women's panties off the internet. It's not hurting anyone, but I still feel a distinct wrongness and guilt when I do it. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize and masturbate to lolly con. Uh, pornography. I think I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. Um, uh, I don't have any feelings towards actual underage girls. In fact, they kind of disgust me. But I can only receive any sexual satisfaction from masturbating to drawn underage characters. Often, it even goes into the territory of darker, rapey depictions of them as well. Um, have you shared this these things with others? I was open about this with uh, the one friend I mentioned earlier in the survey because we met in a very strange way that allowed us to be open about that. It never felt weird because she was into the same stuff, but I had a weird on and off crush on her that made things weird in the end. I've also told my closest male friend after he sort of questioned me about it and he took it surprisingly well and wasn't as judgmental as I thought he'd be. Now, who is... Oh, I see. She was the, the 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 dark thought person, not the childhood person. Uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? I don't know if I feel particularly different about it because of the anonymity of it. doesn't feel like I'm really confessing anything if my real name isn't involved, and it feels just as shameful. Well, I'm sending you. I'm sending you some love, McDuck, and I know the listeners are, are too. Um... This one, I just wanted to read um, two excerpts from it. It's from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by Emma, who writes, pardon my English, I'm from Europe. Um, Ever been the victim of uh, physical or emotional abuse? Uh, Yes, to both of them. My mother became physically and emotionally and mentally abusive after her and my father divorced. She locked me in the dark closet, pushed me down the stairs, cut off my hair when it got caught in a special hairbrush. She kept me in constant level of alert, alert, always scared of doing something that would set her off. She was very verbal, verbally abusive and often told me I was insane, stupid, and an idiot and that I'd end up in a mental institution. Sounds like she was talking to herself. Boy, talk about projecting. Uh, for a long time, I believed her. What if that was me projecting on the mom? For a long time, I believed her and I worked towards that goal of becoming crazy because I thought... Maybe then she'd finally be pleased with me and show me some kind of proudness. She was always emotionally shut down. To this day, she does not own up to the damage she's caused, and I moved far away from my relatives a few years ago to finally start living my own life for me. Good for you. And that feels so good. I've started to work on these issues for the first time in my life because an online relationship with an American triggered all these emotions when our relationship ended sadly not because we didn't like each other but because of distance at least i think so anyway i'm going through a lot right now and i'm thankful for getting in touch with my true feelings thank you to that american handsome gentleman um and this is the thing that really touched me 
Uh, if you have been abused, are there any positive experiences with the abuser? The abuser was my mother, as I'm sure you understand. You want to please them and make them proud and happy uh, about you, so you try to be a good person and do what they ask. I recall one time overhearing her calling me my daughter over the phone to someone, and I felt like a princess. That little word meant so much to me. Daughter. It was as if I got evidence at that moment that yes, she does consider me her child because I didn't feel like she treated me like one of her own, someone she loved. Thank you for sharing that. That was, wow. So moving. Um, this is shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself a person. He's straight, I think. He writes, he's in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, not sure if he was physically or emotionally abused. Um, darkest thoughts, I often wish horrible, horrible things on people that have committed crimes. Uh, deepest, darkest secrets, um, I'm pretty normal when it comes to doing things. Masturbating in my car, I guess. It was at home, though. Um, we call that a driveway load. Uh <laughs> Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I think I like transsexuals with penises better than regular women. I only have romantic fantasies about women with penises, and when I do think about, quote, real girls, I only think violent things like killing, beating, impaling, or feeding them to things during sexual acts. I hate these thoughts. I wish I could have the nice thoughts about regular girls, and the trans thing makes me feel bad because I have always considered myself totally straight, and I used to have better thoughts i don't think that having that those thoughts or feel i don't think there's anything bad about that there are no bad thoughts there are no bad fantasies and you can be straight and still be attracted to trans uh, trans women so man embrace who you are and stop beating yourself up you are lovable exactly as you are um what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would tell my mom to keep trying to comfort me when I cry. Uh, but because I used to be unruly, she stopped trying. I'm no longer unruly and would like the odd, sad hug now and again. What about sharing with her? What about just reading that exact sentence to her? Um, yeah. Thank you, for, thank you for filling that out. And finally... I want to read a happy moment filled out by Scott. He, he writes, um, I recently endured a lengthy and very ugly divorce, and it definitely took toll on me. Simply getting out of bed and facing the world each day was a monumental task. One day at work, surrounded by my co-workers and friends, I felt the darkness creeping in, that all-too-familiar tightness in my chest, the clench in the jaw, the sting of tears welling at the corners of my eyes. Being the tough, manly, non-crying individual that I publicly present, pretend to be, I tried to keep up with the conversation, joke around, put on the normal face, and not let anyone know that I was absolutely fucking falling apart. One of my co-workers from across the workstation looked at me, really saw me, and what was going on inside. She asked me to show her a piece of equipment in the other room that we had spoken about earlier. Gratefully, I left the conversation and walked to the next room. As soon as I got there, I turned around to thank her. Before I could even speak, she put her arms around me and gave me one of the biggest, most fulfilling hugs 
I have ever experienced. She gave me a small, very platonic kiss on the cheek and looked me straight in the eyes. She said, you are a good man. You have many people in your life who love you so, so much. All of this will pass soon and you will be amazing. I can't think of a time that I felt more intensely cared for and instantly hopeful than in that moment. God, that is so beautiful. And that is, that that was like, the, that is like the mission statement of this podcast in a single paragraph. Thank you so much for that, Scott. And thank you to the, to your coworker. What a beautiful, beautiful human being. Well, guys, thank you so much for um, supporting this show. And uh, I hope if you're out there and you're feeling stuck after these two hours, you know that there's no way that you are alone in any of this, any of the stuff that's going on with you. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.